These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Everyone and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. So I'm going to start off a little differently today, and I will get to the questions right after that, but I've been getting a lot of questions lately about parents really struggling with toddler and preschooler behaviors. I will get to each of these parents' questions in the coming weeks and months, but seeing as how there's such a trend and it's such a common struggle, I wanted to just touch on a piece of it that is a common thread through all of them. So I was listening to one of my favorite authors speak this morning as I was on my drive. She said something that really resonated with me and it also related to parenting and what I strive to help parents understand. And just the way that she said it was so profound and different that I wanted to share that. And I think it will really help a lot of you see your role in a different way when it comes to these emotional struggles. So for some reason, We don't get frustrated or frazzled when our kids struggle to sit or crawl or walk or things like that. But when they struggle emotionally, we tend to struggle along with them. So my author said, you can't be sick enough to help a sick person get well. You can't be mean enough to help a mean person be nice. It doesn't work that way. And I thought, yes, and you can't be angry enough to help an angry child 
get to calm. You can only truly help those who are struggling from a place that you're wanting to help them get to. You can only support and teach calm from a place of calm. You can only teach emotional control from a place of emotional control. Now, while it may seem to us that our toddler is frustrated over something stupid, like the block won't stay balanced on top of the other block, to them, this is a real struggle. They're really engaged in this process. It's as real as our frustration over their inability to assess the situation and try again in a different way. So if we want to teach emotional competence, emotional control, and eventually emotional mastery, we must be able to exhibit this for them. We must learn to recognize our own emotions before we react, calm ourselves down, and then help them through their emotions from a place of calm. We use the tools and we teach them to them. So again, I will get to each of these questions in the order that they came in over the coming months because they are each unique, unique ages, unique situations, different reactions, etc. And of course, there are several classes on the website that do give a lot of information on getting and staying calm, teaching and coaching kids to better emotional competence, like peaceful parenting, parts one and two, tantrums, misbehaviors and solutions, power struggles, helping your child with anger, your developing toddler, your developing preschooler, and of course, all the positive discipline tools do help set up healthy boundaries and healthy communication. So all those are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Now, our household has been pretty smooth this week. The changes in the school has really reduced our household stress and our other dog is still doing extremely well. No other unforeseen life craziness has presented itself. And so I'm happy to report that I won't be sharing my parenting challenges for the week. So that's good for me. Um, hopefully that's good for you too, but I think those do help some parents out, but I'm sure that I have plenty of them coming in the pipeline that I will be sharing in the coming weeks, months, and years as we go through this parenting journey ourselves. So before I get to the questions, I do want to remind you that I do have the seven-day free trial for memberships currently only being offered to podcast listeners. So if you've been wanting to or thinking about trying out the classes, you can try them out free for seven days. You get access to all of the classes on the site, but you won't be able to get your personalized parenting questions answered in that first seven days. But if you love the classes, your membership of choice will kick in after the seven days. And at that point, you can send in your parenting question from your account page from the Ask Erin form. If you're not getting what you need, you can't find what you need, you can cancel in that first seven days and you don't pay anything. So to get the offer for the free seven-day trial of your choice, go to yourvillageonline.com slash free dash trial. That's yourvillageonline.com slash free dash trial. So let's get to the questions. The first question is from Danielle. It's about potty training regression. And she wrote in and said, I wrote to you a few months ago about my twins wrestling. You featured the question on your podcast. Your advice and method made a world of difference and really helped me have a specific strategy for managing my twins' constant desire to wrestle. I hope you can now help me with a different problem. My husband and I are beyond frustrated and worried. My one twin is four years old. He potty trained early around two and was completely out of diapers by three, including overnight. I would say it had been a good six to eight months without having a single accident. In January, I had baby number three. And in March, I pulled my twins out of daycare to look after all three kids. Around this time, my one twin started having the occasional accident. 
He would have a few drops in his underwear, but not a full accident. Then it progressed to having a full accident once in a while. Then it progressed to having multiple accidents every single day. Sometimes I would ask him if he had to go to the bathroom and he would say no. And then he would pee his pants a few minutes later. He was sometimes peeing his pants six to eight times a day. He has made mild progress, but if I don't bring him to the bathroom every two hours, he will pee his pants. I can't seem to get him to go on his own accord. This is not very realistic because with three kids, one being a baby, I often forget or lose track of time and he's starting full day school in less than four weeks and the teachers will not be able to do this. I'm worried about him going off to school and being bullied for peeing his pants all the time. Not to mention the fact that I will have to be driving back and forth to the school every time he pees his pants. The other thing is he will never tell me or my husband that he has peed his pants. He will stay in his wet pants until we notice and make him change. We have tried to not make a big deal and just say, okay, no problem, go change your pants. I will admit though that that this is a problem as it has worn on and school is getting closer and closer and we have become frustrated with him. We have tried rewards with no success, i.e. if you go pee on your own, you get a sticker. When you get five stickers, you go pick a treat out of the dollar store. We were concerned maybe he was constipated, so we put him on Restorolax, but it seems to have been a full month of him pooping regularly and it has not made a difference. We have taken him to the doctor and there's no medical reason why he's peeing his pants. We have asked him many times why he's peeing his pants and he always says, I don't know or I can't feel it, which I think he can, but when we thought he was constipated, we kept asking him if he could feel the pee or not. The other thing to note is that back in March, he stopped sucking his thumb cold turkey. Now all of a sudden, this past month, he has started sucking his thumb again. He also stopped napping around when all of this started, so I thought at first maybe it was exhaustion, but it has now been three months of him not napping, so I don't think that could be it. My husband and I give him lots of choices in his everyday life. Do you want to go to the bathroom now or in five minutes? Do you want to wear the green shirt or the blue shirt? But I'm just at a complete loss and I'm worried that somehow we're doing something wrong and making it worse. Please help, Danielle. So first, I love all the detail. It really helps, the detail surrounding this problem. So it does really sound like the relapse is due to the arrival of the sibling and it's a plea for attention. He probably doesn't even realize that's what he's doing or that it's his reason for the accidents. But baby gets all kinds of attention from everyone, not just parents, from neighbors, grandparents, parents, friends, just for being a baby. So I think you're absolutely right that he can feel it and is choosing to ignore it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, since he was doing so well for an extended period of time. Now, Danielle's a member, so I know she can get to a couple of these classes. I'm just gonna mention these quickly, along with a couple of tips from the classes. So I recommend the class on misbehaviors and solutions on attention-seeking behavior, because it explains what that looks like and how it happens and several things you can do to work on that so that he doesn't feel the need to misbehave for attention. You wanna give attention for positive behaviors. Now, one of the things I will also share, and I talk about this in the sibling rivalry class, is that when there are multiple children and there's a rival of a new baby, I also talk about bringing in a new baby and how to do that in the least disruptive way so that the older child or children don't feel replaced because babies do require so much attention, is that you want to focus your attention as much as you can on the older children. Baby can be carried on you, like in a baby wearing, and just snuggle and sleep on you. So the baby doesn't necessarily need a lot of 
face-to-face attention, other than obviously diapers change, the feedings, and they like the snuggling, the closeness. So you can do the baby wearing and still be quite available for the older kids. But when there is a disruption and there is a need between baby and older child, it is best to focus on the older child. So if older child fell down and got hurt or older, the two older siblings are having a fight and baby's crying in the other room because baby needs a diaper changed, it's okay to go ahead and just work with the two older children, give them that attention for a couple of minutes and then go to baby. Baby will be fine. Baby can go for a couple of minutes or you can pick up baby, hold baby in, in some sort of a baby wearing contraption, work with the older kids and then go back to baby feeding baby or Um, or changing the diaper or whatever the baby's need is. So here's a couple of other tips. You want to give lots of positive attention to the things that the older child can do that baby can't, especially helping when he brings something to you when you ask. So not saying something like, you can do X, but baby can't, but something like, thank you for bringing the toy for the baby. That was very helpful. Thank you for bringing the towel. That was helpful. We really needed that. Thank you for helping me move the laundry to the dryer. Wow, your block castle is so detailed. Tell me about it. Your buildings get more sophisticated every time you build something. You get the idea. Really giving attention for things that the older child can do that baby can't do yet. You don't have to be overt about it. But the older child will get the idea that, wow, I can do so many things and being a big kid is pretty cool. Give special time for the older two. You want to do one-on-one, not two-on-one if you can. I know you've got the twins. That makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, You can do two-on-one, but in this case, the one-on-one is going to be really important. Any way that you can. Time spent reading for 15 minutes, just building something for a few minutes, playing with trucks for a few minutes, um, an outing on the weekends with one parent. The, the twins could take turns going, running some errands and even helping pick out fruit at the grocery store with attention for being helpful. Attention in these ways goes a really long way for young kids to feel special, to feel needed, to feel loved. It builds self-esteem for who they are, but also for the skills that they're learning and building that they're using to help the family and be a contributing member. Now, the other class that goes a little bit more into detail on this is the one on special time and gives more ideas and some details. It's a really short class, so it doesn't take much time. So also, when it comes to the potty training, you want to do what you're doing, but have him clean up after himself. Change his clothes, put the dirty ones in the laundry. So it's an effort for him when he has an accident. It may mean some follow-up to make sure he gets it all done sometimes. Then, just like you're doing, just not making a big deal. Okay, go get cleaned up. You know what to do. After an initial conference on what you expect. So initially, you'll have this conference. Then when it happens, you'll go into what I just said. So before that, you're going to say, when you have an accident, I need you to get yourself cleaned up. And that means changing and getting your dirty clothes into the laundry hamper. I know you can get to the potty on your own. When you're ready to start doing it again, you will. But in the meantime, you will need to clean up after yourself. Something like that, setting up the expectation, then following through with that when he does have an accident. The positive attention, the special time, will also fill in that other piece and be an, hopefully be enough over the coming weeks to help him realize he has a lot to offer the family as a four-year-old that doesn't require him to have accidents for the attention. Paired with the little attention as possible when the accident happens and the inconvenience of cleaning up after himself. 
So when I say as little attention as possible, that's just like, okay, go get cleaned up. You know what to do. You're going to pull that attention away so he's not getting attention for the accidents. I know it's hard. I do remember going through that, but just pulling that attention way, way back. Now, if this doesn't help, I would let him know that after two to three weeks, if there's been no improvement, that he will need to go back into pull-ups because he's showing that he's decided that the potty is just not a priority, but that he can still use the potty whenever he wants. And once he shows he's ready to use it regularly, then he can go back to underwear. Now, I don't think you'll have to get there, but even just the idea of it after an initial solid effort at upping the positive attention, seeing if that gets him turned around, mentioning going that after that, if you're still having a lot of struggles, mentioning going back to the pull-ups or diapers may be enough to propel him to realize he doesn't want to regress. He wants to go forward. And I also want to throw out here that I know it's probably more frustrating because he was fully potty trained before and now he's gone backwards, but it's not unusual for boys sometimes to be four to four and a half before they're fully potty trained. So it's not anything you're doing. He's just decided that this is a way for him to get attention because he has seen the baby get attention just for laying there and not doing a whole lot and that baby pees and poops in the diapers. So he doesn't really understand the different expectations based on his age. And like I said, it may even be subconscious way of trying to get some attention. Pull the attention way back, lots of positive attention for being a bigger kid, giving that little bit of special time and then making him clean up after himself and that making that the expectation, then that an extra effort and working all those angles should help get this back on track. As an adult and a mom of a son, both with ADHD, I know navigating the expectations of life with ADHD can be a challenge, but finding the right care and proper tools needed to succeed can be life-changing. With the right resources, you can turn your ADHD into your superpower. Done is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD, online visits, refills, and a 24-7 care team made for you. Starting to take care of your ADHD is as easy as one, taking a one-minute free assessment to see if Dunn can help, two, booking an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as today or tomorrow, three, start receiving ongoing care, enjoy online visits, personalized treatment plan, worry-free refills, and 24-7 care. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Unlock your path to better focus now at get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn your ADHD into your strength. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple. Make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. By Heart is an easy-to-digest formula. 
In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. BiHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about BiHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Our next question is about sharing and toy possession with a toddler. And it's from Nikki who wrote, hi, Erin. As always, I'm loving your podcast and get a lot out of it. I really enjoyed your podcast on sharing a couple of weeks ago, but I have a question regarding sharing and turn-taking in a playgroup or similar situation. My daughter is 19 months. She's chatty and social for her age. She seems to be highly feelings aware. And I will say that Nikki is a member, and so she took the took the temperament class, so this is how she knows that. And she will say, dad, duddle, which means cuddle, if she sees a baby or a child crying because she likes cuddles if she is sad. Her daycare teachers tell me she often tries to comfort other children if they cry. She also shows caring behavior when we have one-on-one playdates by bringing the other child toys, and she likes to give me her favorite bunny for me to cuddle. However, we sometimes go to a playgroup, Therefore, the toys do not belong to any one child, where it can get quite busy and hectic, and also the kids range in age from babies to preschoolers. I've noticed in this situation, she's getting a lot more protective and defensive of the toys she's playing with, to the point where she isn't playing all that much, so much as protecting the dolls that she's using. I usually like to let the kids work things out if neither of them is getting overly upset or hurt. There's a couple of problems though. Firstly, there's the expectation of the other mothers. It makes me feel like I need to step in as soon as Maddie attempts to take another child's toy, as some mothers have very strong feelings about sharing despite her obvious young age. The other issue is that the older children sometimes take things from the younger ones, and I feel like they should maybe know better. I'm not sure how I should act at playgroup. I feel like I'm helicoptering a bit, but I also don't want to offend other moms or have Maddie be taken advantage of by older kids. Any advice? This is such a great question because, you know, we struggle enough with our child at home or with our own children, but when you get into like a public setting with other parents and other children, we really are trying to figure out how to act, how to help our children act socially in those situations. So it's a really great question. And it's amazing that Maddie is so aware, so young, and that's not very common. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with what I've shared in the past about development for 19 months of age, but the behavior of being possessive is very age-appropriate, very common. The sense of self is developing, and so she's learning what she likes and doesn't like, and that she is a person independent of others. So she's exercising her independence, sharing her feelings about what toys and play she likes and is feeling attached to. So it's not just normal, but it's really a good thing. She's developing that sense of self. She'll then move through this stage and on to becoming aware of the other, which she's actually already showing really early. She's learning that other people have feelings too, that they may be different from her feelings. But when it comes to her and the toys she wants at that moment, she's not realizing that another child may also want that toy. So that's what I'm saying about the feelings of others may be different from hers. So she likes to give you the bunny because she knows she likes to cuddle with the bunny. But understanding that you may have a different feeling or a different need, that will come later. She is able to cue into when others are feeling sad based on the way they are expressing themselves. Again, very 
young to be um, so aware of this, which is very amazing. So the difficulty lies in the expectations of other parents, and that's the part that can be hard for us as adults. We want to have that perfect child who knows how to share at two or three. But pushing a child to share is not helpful because they really don't understand it. And actually, it tends to backfire. They tend to become more possessive rather than less because they're still learning how to walk before they can run, let's say. They're learning, they're developing their sense of self before they're developing the sense of the other. So they're in this first stage of developing the sense of self. So if you try to force through that and force them into the sharing before they're even through this developing their sense of self and what they like and don't like, and they get more secure in that sense of self. And then they get to the point where sharing feels good and it feels nice to make other people feel better. They're just not there yet. So you're right on target with letting the kids try to work it out as long as no one's getting hurt. Now, this is what allows them to learn about feelings of others, right? They learn to communicate their wants and needs during play. If or when it starts to escalate is when they're showing they don't have the skills to work through it together and need some adult assistance. Kids at these really young ages often don't even really mind or notice so much if the toy gets taken or if they grab a toy from another kid. The other kid may just be like, all right, go on and do something else. In that instance, there's really no need to step in and you have to kind of be able to hold that and be okay with that because... You know, the other parents are going to have their feelings around it. They're going to have the way they're going to handle it. But if they're lacking an understanding of child development and they're getting upset about it, that's really theirs to carry. Now, if they grab a toy and the other child gets upset, then you can work on it. You can walk over, hand the toy and say, Maddie, could you please give the toy back? She was playing with that. It looks like she's upset right now. It would be nice if you could give that back to her, help her work through that. And since she's so good at recognizing others' emotions and their sadness, she's probably going to be really good about that. Now, if they do work through it, it's great. And you can even give positive feedback. You two worked out how to play together with how to divide and use the sand toys. That's very cooperative. Now, as far as older kids, it really isn't until about four to four and a half when most kids get really good at the sharing. Some will be good at it earlier than that, but a four-year-old who takes a toy is still learning. And so long as no one's getting too upset or hurt, it's okay to let them work it out. So if a four-year-old takes a toy from a two-year-old and the two-year-old screams or cries, then the four-year-old hands it right back, they've learned something in that moment, right? Oh, he doesn't like that, and responded very well to the upset. If the four-year-old grabs the toy from the two-year-old and the two-year-old doesn't even react, the four-year-old is just gonna continue on their play. They kind of just worked it out. The two-year-old was like, I really don't care, and it was fine. If the four-year-old gets a reaction, gets the yelling and crying, keeps the toy despite the displeasure, then the parent would hopefully coach the child. He was playing with that, and when you took it, he got upset. Could you give it back, please? Now, it's your choice to decide in this instance if you want to try to coach another person's child in this instance. I know you don't want your child to be too passive or to think that it's okay for someone to just grab toys, but these are things you can work out at other times and other ways and other places, or if you're sitting right there, or if you know the other mom really well, then you... Um, could step in in that case. There's just really kind of a comfort level to that. And this is just a really gray area 
in this because there's certain things at certain times that are just going to be unacceptable, right? And especially when we have girls, there's certain things that are just going to be unacceptable about the way that they're spoken to, the way that they're treated, the way that they're touched, that we really want to teach them to advocate for themselves. And so I totally understand wanting to set teach your daughter to set those boundaries early. And so this can be a little bit of a gray area. And it's some art and some science in watching your child and how they're reacting and how you want to help alleviate that situation and step in. I think if it were me and it were my daughter and she got very upset, I probably would go ahead and step in and try to coach the other child regardless of how well I knew the other mom and try to teach my child to advocate for herself. But if she didn't really seem to care, I wouldn't really worry about it. Now, if your child's had some practice with you coaching through these situations, you can also ask your child when your child is the one who took the toy, how do you think that child is feeling right now? Why do you think he's feeling that way? What do you think you should do now? I also just want to mention that at this age group, kids rarely interact directly during play and do any kind of cooperative play together. That doesn't come start to come until around age three to three and a half, where they're really playing together, making plans together, building something together, sharing back and forth together. It's much more likely that they play alongside each other and they hand toys back and forth if they do anything at all, if they see another child reaching for something. But the cooperative play doesn't really kick in until at least three years old. And another class that's good for this is your developing toddler and your developing preschooler talks about sharing, taking turns when this kicks in, ways that you can work on it at home to help your child understand that concept. And so you can understand more of what's happening with your toddler or your preschooler in the social emotional realm and what to expect when it comes to their level of social skills and then how to build and develop those skills. And then of course those classes cover other areas beyond social emotional development, but that's just one area in those development classes. So I've been sharing some limited information about my kids' struggles in their local school, and I can't even remember what I shared and what I didn't at this point, but in a nutshell, I started looking for options because of the issues we were having with my younger son in his current classroom setting, my twin son. You know, his teachers every year start out by telling me how he struggles to focus, stay on task, talks out of turn. Now, the talking out of turn did disappear after first first grade, so that was good, but still, the struggle was real. On some projects, he would get very detail-oriented and spend a lot of time adding detail to his project, and then on other things, he would just lose focus altogether. Now, neither of those, which is a good fit in a traditional school setting. You know, given that teachers are expected to adhere to a particular set of learning standards and a child who takes a deep interest in one thing is often rushed through that to get to the next thing on their rubric. And if they don't love that and then they struggle to stay focused or even finish that at all. So after three years of this, we did get him the diagnosis of ADD, which I shared last year, ADD and attentive type, which to be honest, I'm not even sure if he's truly 100% representative of this diagnosis. But he definitely does show a lot of tendencies. And I say this because his behavior at home is really quite extraordinary. Um, He's the kid that's read up and ready in the morning. He's more organized than my other kids. He is very grateful. He's a very happy child. And he's just a sponge when it comes to learning. He loves to share his ideas. 
But because of the struggles at school year after year after year, I thought that it was time that we had him tested. And so the diagnosis did come out, but it wasn't a super in-depth assessment. So, but this way I figured at least the teachers can know what they're working with. However, my other concern with this, not with the diagnosis per se, but with the behaviors that are always marked in his file is that his teachers see this before they even meet him. And so I feel like that's what they see when they meet him. That's what they focus on. And this is just human nature. Like this is the kid that can't stand still. This is the kid that's always dancing. This is the kid that doesn't focus on his work. This is the kid, blah, 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 right? But study after study after study has shown that when you label kids one way or the other, so for instance, one study, one group of kids was labeled smart and the others lower IQ. And when you do this, this is what is seen and noticed. So when these children were placed in a classroom with adult facilitators, this was a test. This was not you know, a real life situation. This was actually a study that was done, a psychological study. But when these children were labeled and then put in classrooms mixed in together with adult facilitators, they tended to follow their preconceived information about these students, regardless of their students' actual true performance capabilities. The facilitator spent more time and gave more positive attention and affirmations to the quote-unquote smart group and the opposite to the like lower IQ group. So Part of me wondered if each year, and still wonders, if his behaviors were amplified in each of the teacher's eyes simply because of what they had read in his file. Now we'll never know, but one thing that is for sure is that each of my children has strengths and struggles, and everyone's children have strengths and struggles. Chandler has big, big strengths, and he does have some struggles with focus when there's work that he's not so interested in. So whereas my other two and other kids can just get it done, they'll just get through it. But many kids struggle with this. He's certainly not alone by a long shot. And this year, things just came to a head with a teacher who just was not at all tolerant of his struggles and not at all interested in working with him in any way with creative problem solving on the issue. And because of this, I have, of course, reached out to other parents about this teacher and their experience in the school system in general, and I found a lot of other kids and parents have struggled and been left feeling very frustrated, as frustrated as me, if not much more, with these same issues. So I've become increasingly interested in learning more and more about the way kids learn, what motivates them, what makes school and learning fun versus a chore. Now, of course, life isn't always easy and every single thing isn't going to be fun, but we human beings are built to learn and grow. Kids spend so many years in school that if they have bad experiences year after year, which my son has had, except for last year, We lose them by the time they hit late elementary or junior high, just when learning should be getting really exciting and interesting, when they start to get to dabble a bit in their areas of interest. Now, I knew I didn't want that for my son. He is so bright. He's such a science geek. He's so curious about the world and learning. More than any kid I know, I watched with the kids the documentary called Inside Bill's Brain on Netflix about Bill Gates. Chandler loved this show way more than my older son, who's a very academic child, but Chandler loved this show. He tells people about it and that they should watch it. So because of all this, I've created a class on learning styles and multiple intelligence. 
And because I know what I know, this whole sort of unfolding has been a whole lot easier for me, a whole lot less frustrating for me in knowing what to do and where to go and to support Chandler's needs for learning. Whereas other parents I'm seeing are just so frustrated. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't understand. They don't understand why their child's always in trouble. And so I feel like this class is going to be so important for a lot of parents whose children just don't learn in ways that traditional school is taught and the subjects that are traditionally taught. So this class helps parents understand their children's learning styles and their areas of intelligence, both where they shine and where they struggle. And it's important information so that the parent can understand why and where their child may struggle or not struggle in their education and how to advocate for that. Now, this class is completed. It's done being edited. And so we will be putting that up onto the website. We just need to upload each of the pieces and the full class will be doing that in the next week. So I'm really excited to get this information out to parents. It's definitely a great class for parents of kids in kindergarten and up. But if you have a child in preschool, you will still find it very useful as you will be able to pick out a lot of areas already where your child is gifted. You'll probably see the areas of gifts and talents before the struggles if you have a preschooler. Once they hit elementary school, if they have struggles, you'll know pretty quickly because the teachers will start telling you. But I think understanding your child's gifts and talents, where they shine, is just as, if not more important, to know early on so you can advocate and facilitate, especially if there are areas outside of the regular curriculum for elementary school you will be able to supplement their learning and support their strengths so that they can really develop those. So again, to join with the free seven-day trial membership with access to all the classes, go to yourvillageonline.com slash free dash trial. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening. Next week is Thanksgiving. My kids are home with me all week, so I don't think I'll be getting a podcast out, but if I do manage to make it happen, I definitely will. So I'll see you in the next two weeks. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.